Hi, this is Michael Soto. And I'm Sam Garman. You're listening to Transform, the podcast where we explore the stories and experiences of folks who are transgender beyond the transition. One, two, three, four. What did your mom say? What is your real name? How about those drugs that you take? And does your voice change? How come you don't feel ashamed? What kind of love do you make? But you don't care about my answer Your questions ignore me Let me tell you a story Hello and welcome back to Transform. This is our second part of our very first two-part episode. Yes, very nice. Uh, I'm excited about this two-part episode uh, where we are discussing internalized transphobia and the impact it has on us as individuals and our community. Yeah. If you did not listen to part one of the internalized transphobia, um, (laughs) you are sort of coming in right at the middle here and you'll be missing some of the pieces. So maybe Um, go back. Yeah, so go back. Last week. Listen to last week's episode and then come back to us. We'll still be here because this is like really the great thing about podcasting (laughs) is that we just exist here yeah. on your terms really for, forever yeah. <laughs> you whenever you want to listen to us that's fine you know you do you we prefer if you do listen to us Indeed. we like that <laughs> yeah it's we think it's helpful and good and enjoy that aspect of this uh <laughs> so last week we covered the basics of what internalized transphobia is uh and how it shows up in our lives um and this week we're moving forward from there with what you can actually do about internalized transphobia Mm -hmm. in any given situation. Um, And we're going to try to give helpful examples, hopefully. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And uh, you know what you can do as a trans person, as well as what you can do as an ally. Yeah. And just to like frame us back in the conversation, we're talking about internalized transphobia, not as something that um, trans folks have that's bad or some sort of a mental illness or something that they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. But internalized transphobia is really about recognizing that the toxic sludge of transphobia that exists within our world has sort of seeped into us. Um, And so we find ourselves having these feelings that are really at odds a lot of times with the things we believe um, or are working to believe about ourselves and our community. Um, And yet we're sort of stuck with, some of this leftover stuff, uh, which we referred to last episode as gremlins, which I think is really, um, it's, it's true. You can't yeah. let them in the light or eat after midnight, right? Yeah. Or there's not wet, man. I don't know. We really should know better probably about this. I we, I mean, we were raised, we were raised in this, in the gremlins population in the gremlins generation. It's true. <laughs> we're gonna have to watch that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so we talked about these gremlins showing up in many instances last time, including dating, family interactions, interactions with cis men, work and school, any place where anyone has to do a little bit of extra work on your behalf, mm-hmm. uh, friendship, and in the LGBTQ and trans community. So yeah. uh, we covered sort of different ways that we have seen internalized transphobia show up in our own lives mm-hmm. in these instances. Um, and now we're going to start talking about what you actually can do uh, when that happens. So yeah. when you're, as a trans person, confronted with a moment of internalized transphobia in any of those instances, um, or as an ally. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we're not going to, you're not going to be able to listen to this episode and then have it be like, okay, well now I have all the tips I need to (laughs) never experience internalized transphobia again. Right. Because that's actually not how it works. I mean, Michael and I have mentioned 
in, in the last episode, we, this is something we still experience fairly yeah. consistently. Like yeah. it's just a, it's a part of being in this culture Yes, um, that we, this, this world around us that we experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, you know, that's similar to any kind of unlearning process, right? Uh, yeah. You're trying to unlearn things that are toxic or harmful to you. Um, internalized transphobia is an unlearning process that we need to embark on in a continual and lifelong basis because we're worth it. Yep. Um, and our health and well-being is worth it, right? Yeah, unlearning absolutely. those negative messages. So why is unlearning uh, trans internalized transphobia something to pay attention to and work on, right? Or why is why is internalized transphobia something to pay attention to? Um, and why is unlearning it something to work on? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is because you can't be healthy and whole yeah. while you are actively embracing um, thoughts about yourself that are judgmental or less than. Like it's just those two things actually can't exist in harmony. Yeah. Um, and you'll always feel like you're trying to sort of tear yourself apart to to fit this view you have of yourself as being less than. Yeah. Um, and that's a terrible way to feel. Um, and we have enough people telling us that we're bad and unworthy uh-huh. and, you know, and awful and weird and wrong yeah. um, without us telling ourselves that too. Like yeah. as hard as it is to not tell ourselves that, like we, we need someone in our corner uh-huh. um, and we, that can be us that can actually. Be us. Yeah. That can be us in our corner. <laughs> it can be. And it should be right. Like mm-hmm. you should be in your own corner, right? Like you should be your biggest advocate. Um, and sometimes that, you know, for me, this has shown up in, um, sort of surprising, but small ways that I've sort of had to adjust over time. Like mm-hmm. when I was little, right. And I would imagine daydream, like imagine my life. Um, the only way that I knew how to picture a life was to con- think of myself and conceive of myself as a cisgender man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that brings up then all those feelings of shame and not war- you know, not yeah. feeling worthy enough or not feeling complete. And so now when I think about my future life or think about things I want in life, right. I have to consciously, make the choice to think about those things within a trajectory that is possible, you know, Mm. like as a trans man, um, like having children, I think is a great example, right? Like how do I want to have children? There's a lot of baggage there and a lot of shame and a lot of feeling not, um, not good enough and not complete. And like, I'll do it wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No matter how I do that. Um, and so it takes a lot of retraining constantly for me to be like, okay, think about that. But in a context that, could actually happen um, mm-hmm. because you are not a biological man, right? <laughs> yeah. A cisgendered biological man. And so you have to think about that in a way that will be affirming to who you are as a person in a realistic way. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think also like we just, we kind of have to live with the reality that it won't ever be gone, Yeah, but that there are ways that we can sort of acknowledge it and let it be true. Yeah. And then that we feel it, but yes. not let it be true that it's true. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like to acknowledge Absolutely. like, Hey, I'm having a really uncomfortable feeling about this. Yeah. And I can, I, I know why it's happening. It's happening because I'm transgender uh-huh. and the world around me has told me that's bad and wrong. Exactly. And that doesn't have to be true. Yeah. I can still feel sad or I can feel scared or whatever that is. I can acknowledge that feeling. And then I can say like, but that doesn't, what the root of that doesn't actually have to be true. Exactly. It's true that I feel this. Right. 
but because I feel it doesn't make it true. Right. Doesn't make that thing that society says is wrong with me because I'm trans. Right. That is not true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's helpful to turn that thing to anger. Yeah. And say like, I'm mad that our community would make me feel this way. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm going to use that to fuel my activism around that. Absolutely. But it's not always useful to turn that to anger. Right. Because sometimes we turn it to anger and then the anger kind of becomes against ourselves or against our own community. Um, And so we just really have to be mindful about where that energy has turned and how we're using it. Yeah. I mean, I think anger can be productive. Anger can also be destructive. And so if it's, if you're in a productive anger space where it's fueling, like you said, your activism or fueling, you know, whatever you need it to fuel, then great. And once it turns from productive to destructive or begins to turn time, to let it go. Yeah. You know, like let the anger go, start coping with it in a different way. Right. Yeah. And we're prescribing these things is that they're like, so just write these things down and you're just going to do them like one step after the well, other. Like, put it in the books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Right. Sure. Um, <laughs> but I like I we acknowledge that this is the work of a lifetime. Yeah. Like, so it's not like you're going to be really great at being like, you know, I'm still not great at being like, I'm trying to figure out what bow tie to wear. Oh God, that's not going to look right. Okay. Yeah. Well, like, and sometimes I have to sort of remind myself and take a breath uh-huh. and sort of walk through the like wow, I'm feeling, I'm feeling scared about this because of this. Right. And here's what I'm going to do about that. Yep. Um, and let, and giving myself some grace around, I'm working against a whole society. I'm not just working against like my bad feelings about bad self-esteem or whatever. Like I'm working <laughs> right. against a whole societal setup that has been designed to keep me from doing masculinity in the way that feels best for me exactly it feels right um and so know that you're not just like it's not just like you know you're gonna look in the mirror like Stuart, and say i'm good enough and i'm smart enough and gosh darn it people like me like it's not that like this is the work of a lifetime yeah um and you know also that was a very old snl reference an amazing snl um and if you haven't seen those sketches you must look them up on the youtube machine yeah we're very much like in like 80s 90s child (laughs) mode for this episode like gremlins and like stuart well done um this is this is who we are folks uh so we also like Therapy can be a great tool for this work, right? Yeah, where um, do you think I learned all that stuff? Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and Brene Brown, your yeah. favorite author. My, my favorite. <laughs> favorite. Um, uh, you know, like, this is this is stuff that, this is, internalized transphobia is something that you need to talk through with someone. Um, and that person could be a therapist. That could be, you know, learning tools from an amazing author and someone mm-hmm. who, you know, is uh, focusing on things like shame or um, masculinity or different things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, also, uh, this could be a great thing to talk about with other trans people. Yeah. Um, this is an opportunity for trans support groups um, that are interested to really move into a space that is beyond just the physical transition, but deals with sort of lifelong processing. Right. So you're saying that there could be some support groups that go beyond the transition. I am <laughs> dare to believe Sam. Dare to believe. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I, I do think this is true. Like there are lots of support groups for guys to guys or women. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Not just 
not just guys. Not just guys. We yeah. know there are a lot of you out there, trans ladies, we love you too. Yes, we um, do. and gender nonconforming people. We yes, love you all. we also love you. Um, but like, there are lots of support groups out there where you can sort of sit around and talk about like what happens when you start going on estrogen or testosterone, yeah. like making the choice to have surgery or not have surgery, like those kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. And they're incredibly vital they and really important. And we really support those trans, those, those support groups. Yeah. Um, but I'll say that like you, there's also like sort of be needs to be a next level, maybe like a graduating support group where you're not necessarily focused on the transition stuff anymore, but focused yeah. on the like real life. Like what does it look like as yeah. a trans man to confront, um, toxic masculinity Uh what does it look like as a trans woman to um to engage in feminism yeah like what does it look like for a gender non-conforming person to figure out like how you you know to work through those feelings of internalized transphobia where you you know you don't fall on one side of the spectrum or the other and so like living in that middle space those are the kind of conversations that can be really powerful and deep and a lot of times they're just not accessible in a support group where there's so many folks who just really need to focus on transition. Right. Which is critical. Those folks need that space, but there's also a shelf life for that conversation. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, if you have access to a support group where that's the kind of thing you can discuss or even just make your own, um, make your own support group of the trans folks in your life who want to have those conversations. Um, that could be something that could be really powerful because I mean, it requires a lot of vulnerability it does. to go in and engage in a conversation that I'm, I might not start with internalized transphobia as your like maiden voyage of a conversation. You might want to break the ice. No, you might want to like yeah. find something else as your first, first choice. Uh, you could, yeah. you could discuss eighties and nineties movies. We're, we're clearly into pop culture today. It's much um, easier than internalized transphobia. For sure. But you know, once, once you're in a space where you have access to being vulnerable with one another, yeah. that could really be a conversation that you could all benefit from. Because one of the things that we know makes that experience better is if everyone in the room says, Oh my God, I've had that experience too. Yeah, absolutely. That can be really healing to recognize that you're not the only one who is standing in your closet, looking at all your clothes going like, I don't know how to do this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it can give you people to call if you're having a panic moment, yeah. right? Of like, yeah. Nothing fits me the way I want it to fit me. Everything is wrong. I can't go outside ever again. I need an adult. <laughs> I need an adult to come and talk <laughs> me down. Um, so building off of that, um, this is not something that trans people talk about with each other frequently. And so why? Why don't we talk to each other about this? Fucking shame, man. There, there you go. Shame. Yep. Shame is insidious, right? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Like, I think we're all sort of steeped in shame uh-huh. about why we feel this way. And we must be terrible at being trans because, yeah. like, how can I finally have come out and feel so much myself and feel happier than I ever imagined that I could feel and also, I hate myself a little. Yeah. Right. Like that, how do you reconcile all that? And so then it's like, maybe I was wrong and I shouldn't have come out. Right. Because what was the point of it if I just feel this way? Yeah. If it, if everything isn't all rainbows and unicorns after yeah. coming out constantly, right? Which, of course, all it's not. It's life. Yeah. Yep. Like, no one is 100% happy 100% of the time. Yep. Um, but often that's the expectation after you come out, right? Is that everything else in your life will be fixed. And it's just like, well, but life still exists. Yeah. It's still going to be really hard. 
And I'm going to have to not only confront all the hard things about life, but this constant feeling of internalized transphobia, not feeling enough, not feeling like I'm, you know, doing this gender thing in a way that is being read in the way that I want it to be read or that is appropriate for social norms. Right. Yeah. Um, which just compounds that and then feeling bad about that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of in that cycle of compounding shame. Yeah. And yeah. feeling alone in it, feeling alone in it so, makes it so much worse. So I feel bad and yep. I feel alone and I'm doused in shame. And so yeah. like, you know, what do you do? Yeah. You're like, that's a, that's a terrible dark place to live. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't do research like I don't have numbers on this, but I would bet that there's actually a lot of this that's wrapped up in trans folks who end up taking their lives. Yeah. Just feeling very isolated, feeling bad for feeling this internalized transphobia um, and feeling like there was no one to talk to about it. Right. Yeah. Um, Which really, I mean, that shame builds into fear then. Right. Or isolation or any number of things. Um, I mean, I think, you know, when, I sort of had a moment of that when you suggested this topic for this season, right? Where you're like, I think we need to ha- tackle something heavy. I was like, okay. I'm like, I was like, I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> okay, but I don't want to. Right. <laughs> and then you said internalized transphobia. I was like, I really don't want to. That yeah. sounds not fun um, and very vulnerable, you know, yeah. and like a really intense discussion. Because um, I don't think I'd ever talked about my own feelings of internalized transphobia with another trans person. And so then you and I, we probably have had three or four conversations about this now before doing this episode and sitting down and recording it, um, which has been a really wonderful experience and really liberating and like really validating, you know, and like really positive in a lot of ways. But the fear and shame that I felt even with the episode being proposed is a good example of like why I've probably never talked about it with another trans person before. Yeah. Right. And I think, so for me, one of the things that, that has helped make this in my life a little bit more um, available uh-huh. as a, as a thing that I could uh-huh. propose and discuss. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Dr. Brene Brown, who is my <laughs> <Yes>. favorite author. Um, <laughs> but I have listened, I listen on audiobook to uh-huh. many of her books. So I say that I've read them without actual, like I don't own the actual books. Yes. Otherwise I would lend them to you and make you read them. <laughs> and when I say lend them to you, I would mean, Force me to force read you them. to read. Yeah, them. okay. Um, <laughs> this is going to happen at some point. Yeah. soon. I'll read one. So I've really like her work is a lot around shame and vulnerability. Okay. And one of the things she talks about is that shame can't survive uh, being spoken. Oh wow, that's powerful. Yeah, wow. and so so shame can't survive the light. And so if we share our stories with uh-huh. someone who has earned the right to hear them, yeah which you have by being a friend who has been consistent and a friend of integrity and someone that I've built trust with. So if you share your stories with someone who has earned the right to hear them, then your shame sort of like shrivels up and dies Uh because it can't survive being spoken and being shared. Um, And so when we, when we actually do the work of naming it and saying it out loud and having a conversation about it, we actually, we relieve ourselves of the burden of it exactly. in some way. Yeah. Um, and, and so then we get to do that for each other. Uh-huh. Um, and that's part of why I think that this is the kind of thing that even though it's the scariest thing to speak aloud, yeah. actually needs to be spoken aloud because it allows us to, to shake it off Definitely. and, and be able to move forward a little bit. Um, yeah. That's why I think that therapy and support groups would be a really great place for this conversation yeah. because it can't survive being spoken. Yeah. I mean, there are so many parallels. It's so, as you're you know, saying these things, there's so many parallels with like 
anti-racist work or like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of work around ending systemic oppression, the same methodology, right? Like same idea of like, when you name it, you take its power away. Yep. Right. <laughs> when you start like talking about it and like being conscious about it, you start to dissipate even more its presence in your life, right? Because you're actively working on it. Um, and so that just makes total sense that shame would function the same way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and both personally and like systemically, like as a community, right? So if this is true in our friendship where mm-hmm. we both feel shame and fear and isolation alleviated because we've been able to share our own experiences with internalized transphobia, it's got to be true for the community, you know, yeah. the more that we could talk about this and sort of alleviate that collective shame and fear and isolation, um, perhaps the healthier our community would be. For sure. Um, and if you are not a book reader, I highly recommend. Um, so Dr. Brene Brown has like one of the most, te- most watched Ted talks in all time. It's like yeah. 25 minutes. So it's a really low nice. bar of entry. Nice. Um, so just look up Ted talk, Dr. Brene Brown. Okay. Um, and it's really, it's about shame and vulnerability, but it's really fantastic. Um, it's a good starting place. If you want to learn more about this that sounds awesome she's not paying me for this no, i'm just plugging just her an, work for you're free. like an evangelist for i her. really I like am it. it's kind it. of <laughs> uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna watch that ted talk before the next time i see you okay I, I all right to that. we'll see it <laughs> all right so so all of this uh impacts our lives right yeah. like all of the ways that internalized transphobia operates in our lives clearly impacts us in many ways and one of the most important ways is in our relationships with yeah, other people for sure uh, so, you know, one of the ways that that impacts us is that if there's this enormous thing in your life, right, that is causing fear, shame, isolation, like all of these feelings of less than not being worthy, not being enough, um, it's clearly going to create a barrier uh, between you and in- and the rest of the world, really, right, mm-hmm. and engaging authentically with other people. Yep. Um, so... You know, I think one of the ways that I've experienced this, um, I think above like my very first like committed sort of real relationship as a young adult, um, did a lot of things wrong in that relationship. So sorry about that. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I did most wrong, sorry, sorry that was my bad. Um, one of the biggest things um, was not understanding, right, the ways that mm-hmm. I would be triggered by my own internalized transphobia. Um, and how that would then manifest in that relationship, right? Yeah. Like my partner at the time was really into sewing. Um, she worked in the costume shop at school. Like she put herself through school through her sort of craft of working with um, textiles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she proposed uh, us making a quilt together as a project, as a couple. And for me, I was like, that sounds fucking awful. Like I was just yeah. like, no, there's nothing about that that I want in my life. Um, in part because like I was raised Mormon, I was raised LDS. Right. And Mm -hmm. there's the, the culture of Mormonism, like at the time, at least, um, there were specific things that girls were supposed to learn how to do sewing being one of the most important. And so in my whole life, I had had a lot of resistance Mm -hmm. to wanting to learn how to sew, which is stupid because like, I'd love to learn how to sew for like practical needs now. Right. Um, I can put a button on that was a big deal. That's about all I can do. Um, but that's useful. Take the, take the win, take the win, take right? the win. I'm taking it. Um, but I've had a lot of resistance to that my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then my partner at the time, right. Sort of proposing this felt like an insult. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't see me as a man. I'm not enough of this. Um, but really I, it was just that 
I was either working or doing movement work so much and she just wanted some of my time. Right. Um, and we were both too young to be able to like articulate that probably, um, and too inexperienced in life in relationships, right. To be able to be like, Oh, that's actually what's happening. Um, so then I'm just triggered by my partner essentially wanting to spend time with me, which is absurd. Right. Um, and I'm not able to articulate why I'm triggered. So that just, of course, becomes a compounding problem in a romantic relationship. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like, you know, this could, this could really be, um, it can, it can be anything in a relationship. It can be anything, um, could, could be a potential landmine. And you can't ask your partner to know everything that (laughs) might be a potential landmine for triggering internalized transphobia for you. Like that's, it's, that's unreasonable. That's unreasonable, but it's also <laughs> like you're putting all of the burden for your stuff stuff yeah. on them Absolutely. and your and your health yeah. on them. Yeah. Um and so you kind of have to you have to take some of it, but also like that can be really hard. Yeah. Right? And so sometimes it's about recognizing like I need to take the burden for sharing some of this stuff with the person that I'm dating or the person that I'm with. Yep. It's really important. Um and if you feel like you can't do that, uh-huh. you kind of have to evaluate, am I in a, am I in a safe enough relationship? Yeah. And if I'm not, is there something that I need to do to actually build that? Yes. Or is this not a safe relationship for me to be in? Yeah. Um, and that work is, that can be really overwhelming and hard. Yeah. I mean, if your, if your partner comes to you like as a trans man and says like, wow, you're such a great cook. So few men are such great cooks that could trans, that could trigger yeah. his idea that like my mom made me learn to cook and I hated it. And like now, like you're just reinforcing the fact that if I was a man, I wouldn't have had to do that. Like <laughs> yep. that, that kind of stuff could really create like things that could be sweet moments or uh-huh. good moments. Um, and that could be really hard. Yeah. I think the other thing that internalized transphobia doesn't let us do uh-huh. is acknowledge the ways in which we might actually be better in relationships than a cis man. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think about the reality that like, as a person who was socialized as a woman, I learned about how relationships with women function uh-huh. in a way that most dudes did not. Yeah, yeah. Um, I learned about... I mean, it took me a really long time to actually like acknowledge this, but like I learned about feelings and feeling words and like how to discuss those things. Um, I learned about how to like break apart and analyze every specific (laughs) interaction of a, of an interaction between two people and understand every part of it from every angle. Like that the ways that women engage with one another actually built in me some skills Uh that are, could be really beneficial to me and and could be really fantastic in a relationship. Yeah. Um, but if I won't allow myself to yes. draw on those things because right. my internalized transphobia tells me that I'm not doing man right if I do that, right. then I actually rob my relationship of those things that actually might be really beneficial about like what are the benefits of dating a trans dude? Right. Like because exactly. there have to, there there are definitely are some. Definitely. We're like we have something that other dudes don't have right well i mean you're essentially talking about a high degree of emotional intelligence right like being able to like (laughs) be you know really present in those sorts of ways because of our social conditioning as children um which in a relationship with anyone is beneficial right like whether that's in a relationship with women or in a relationship with men that 
don't have those skills necessarily, right? Yeah. Um, that that brings a lot to a relationship, being able to talk about your feelings, being able yeah. to, you know, name those sorts of things. Um, and I mean, I've experienced myself like actively sort of rejecting that kind of emotional intelligence um, and then holding a partner accountable in ways that are completely unfair for my own well-being and health, mm. right? And for me, that's been a sort of important boundary to reassess and to form actually of being like, oh, wait, this is what I am responsible for, for my own health and well-being. And then that stuff is what I can hold other people accountable for, which is a great deal smaller, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and external facing, not yeah. the internal stuff. Like nobody can do that work for me. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, I think there are lots of other things like that too. Like yeah. um, I think trans folks as parents are yeah. different than cis folks as parents. Like Absolutely. I get, yeah. I get weird side eye from other dudes in the world all the time really? for the way that I parent my children really? because I am way more affectionate and wow. like I'm, I'm way more affectionate with my boys well, yeah. than I think most fathers are oh. feel allowed to be yeah. because they're supposed to be, make them tough or whatever. Right. Um, and so That's I think awful. it's wow. like the ways that we engage in the world are different. Right. Um, and internalized transphobia doesn't allow us to, embrace those things yeah. and acknowledge those things as strengths of ours. Yeah. I mean, I, all I can think about in your parenting style, like when I've seen you with your kids is like how healthy and like in touch with their feelings and needs your boys will be because you're teaching them that and modeling that for them as their dad, you know, like that's, that's a beautiful thing. Like more fathers need to hug and love their children, right? Because it's, it is unhealthy for a society for only women to be nurturers, right? Like super unhealthy. men have just as much and gender nonconforming people have just as much of a role to play in nurturing children. If you choose to have children, right? Like that's a healthy thing and good for parents, children, society. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like my kids could learn from me the ways that gender is not fixed. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully that will make them, more conscious citizens in our world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that there are, there are lots and lots of things that trans people can bring to the world that are really positive and amazing. And we've had so many trans people Absolutely. on this show uh-huh. talk about the contributions that they bring to the world that are, are like huge. Yeah. so unbelievably rad. Yeah. Um, and sometimes what gets in the way of us accessing those things in ourselves is this internalized transphobia that blocks us from being fully who we are. Absolutely. Um, So how do we move past it, Sam? (laughs) Now now you get to fix the thing. Oh yeah. Great. Sounds good. Um, (laughs) I think the first thing, the first way we move past it is we have to identify it. Yeah. We have to name it. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the first step, right? You take the power out of something by naming what it is. Um, make it less scary for yourself. Um, I think after that, you have to do the work of understanding how it works, right? How does it show up for you as an individual? Um, where is it specifically in your life, like most harmful, right? Start there. That's often a good place to start, like where you're experiencing the most trauma and harm from this. Um, and then also how does this work like in our community and society in general so that you can understand the bigger scope of it better? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like we can, we start that work in our relationships where we're safest. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's the, that's the thing about shame is it can only like, 
it only actually dissipates and goes away if when we name it, we name mm-hmm. it to a person who has earned the right to hear it. And if they respond with empathy, yeah. like if I told you something that I was feeling really ashamed about and you were like, wow, right. that's <laughs> fucked up that you feel that way. Right. That would, that, that would actually amplify the shame. Yeah. Like that would, <laughs> that would make it worse. Yeah. So like if in your primary relationships, you begin the process of the healing of your own internalized transphobia uh-huh. via naming it and having someone else say like, man, I have been there and it is brutal to feel that way. Uh-huh. Like that's that's an empathetic response. Yeah. And then it actually creates the opportunity for that healing to happen and that shame to be dismissed. And so we start that work in our primary relationships yeah. where we feel safest. We are not gonna start this work um, by writing policy in, <laughs> like in our state legislatures or in Congress, like uh-huh. we're not going to, this work can't start externally. It just can't. No, it, it's an internal process, right? I mean, like much, much work, uh, much of the work around ending oppression, right? Does begin with you, you know, it begins mm-hmm. with how you fit into that and understanding that grappling with painful things and internalized transphobia is no different than that. And then finding trusted people, like you said, Mm -hmm. to grapple with that together, (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. And sort of uh, expanding that grappling with and doing work around in sort of larger groups of people, right. Until um, you feel, you know, sort of like you've got a a group or a system for doing that, that is effective for you in your life um, in the sort of multitude of ways that internalized transphobia will show up so that you can continue to do that work your whole life. Yeah. Um, Cause this, it's not going to end, you know, like it's a journey. It's something that will uh, pop up in surprising ways sometimes. I mean, for me, sometimes those feelings pop up and I'm like, where is that coming from? Yeah. Like, okay. So I'm here. Didn't <laughs> anticipate that today, but this is what I'm dealing with right yeah. now. Um, so yeah, and just and also when it does pop up, not you know don't go into that shame cycle, right? Like yeah. you develop those relationships that you can do this work with, so that you don't have to spiral into that shame cycle. Yeah, and I think the other thing is like this is like this is I think of it as borrowed shame. Uh, like we're borrowing this from a society at large who yeah. has told us that we're not okay. Yeah, f- forever. Um, and so we're taking the shame on and borrowing it. And so within those primary relationships within, and within ourselves, we need to be gentle with ourselves yeah. about the ways that this impacts us. Um, we need to be honest about what it is we're feeling, but we also need to say like, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't create this out of whole cloth, right? Like this existed and I, I got steeped in it. And so now I feel it. And my feelings about it are true, but what's what's behind it isn't true. Uh-huh. Um, and if what I need to do about that is like, like sometimes when I'm feeling that, I need to go for a run and get back in my body. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm feeling that, I need to go and watch a romantic comedy and laugh. Yeah. Um, sometimes I need to call a friend. Sometimes I need to eat some ice cream. Like do the self-care that actually works for you yeah. and makes you feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things that like, when internalized transphobia kicks up, it can, it can be so overwhelming. And so like, it can feel like getting clotheslined in the middle of your day. And sometimes you just need to do self care around that. And that is okay. Yeah. I think it too, like once you get to a point where you've got self care that works, right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think it's important to think of self-care not just as coping mechanisms, but creating the conditions for which you don't need coping mechanisms. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So once you have coping mechanisms that work, certainly to get you out of that panic and spiral, right, Mm -hmm. that shame cycle, um, then how do you start building out pieces of your life, right, and strategies where this isn't going to become a recurring thing, right, where you don't need to – you know, turn all electronics off and like sit in the dark, you know, yeah. or whatever, whatever the coping mechanisms are. Right. Yeah. We include an ally moment in every episode because we know that there are lots of you listening who aren't trans, uh, but you're listening because there's probably someone in your life that you really care about that is trans or you want to be a good ally to the trans community. So these moments for, are for you and they're all about how uh, you can best support the trans friends and loved ones in your life. So today's ally moment uh, is all about how to, as an ally, uh, be there for trans folks that are working on internalized transphobia um, and how to work on your own. Yeah. So this is, I mean, obviously this is the, this is, we didn't have an ally moment last time, so right. we're going to do it this time. This is the culminating ally moment for this whole episode. Yes. Yeah. We, it didn't make sense to do two ally moments uh, in this very long episode, so kept it to this one. Yeah. Um, so if you're an ally, um, something that you need to be good at doing uh, when it comes to the trans folks uh, in your life, um, when they come to you and say, this is triggering or hard for me, right, in our relationship, mm-hmm. or this is something that's, you know, sort of making these feelings happen for me, um, it's important to be a safe space for that discussion, uh, which we acknowledge can be hard, right? Um, it's, it's very easy. I think when someone comes to you and says this aspect about our relationship is triggering me in a negative way, it's easy to be like, to take that on totally personally, right. To take that on and get defensive, um, to let that trigger you. Um, that's not how I meant it. And so you shouldn't feel bad. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's not productive for either of you, right? In that moment um, or in your relationship. And so what will be productive is for, to take note a of that you're triggered and you want to say something like that, right? Breathe through it (laughs) and realize that what that person is telling you is this aspect of our relationship is hard for me. Doesn't mean you are a bad friend or a bad person or a bad partner or whatever, right? It's just, it's this person actually saying, I value our relationship so much so that I trust you with something that's difficult (laughs) and a conversation that maybe isn't going to be the easiest, but I trust that we'll work through it and we'll be stronger at the other end of it so um that is what that trans person is saying to you and so you being a safe and receptive space for that conversation um we encourage you to do that we think it's really important mm-hmm. um, and it's gonna result in a stronger relationship hopefully uh, yeah for you yeah and so what that what that looks like is that the first thing is you have to sort of acknowledge what the person is telling you yes um so saying you know in michael's example where he was talking to his best friend it's saying like I hear you saying that when I bring up these things that feel like foundational memories to me, right. they're actually, that's hard, that's hurting you. Right. Um, so you have to acknowledge what it is they're telling you yeah. in order to ensure that you understand what it is they're telling you. Because sometimes these, when these conversations are really emotional and uh-huh. really charged, it's sometimes hard to get fully what it is that you're telling me. So yeah. saying like, Hey, I'm acknowledging what I'm, what I'm hearing you saying is this, right. um, I'm acknowledging that Th- right. that really helps g- to be really clear about what it is that you're talking about moving forward. Yeah. Um, 
and I think it helps you get to the next step. Like often, and I experience this constantly. So speaking from my own personal experience, when someone says to me, this aspect is hard of our relationship. My first impulse of course is to say, that's not how I meant it. Or that's not the way that I mean that to be interpreted, or that's not my intention. Um, but what I have found is that's not terribly helpful. Uh, I have not experienced that as being helpful in building a relationship and trust, but what is more helpful is when I take a breath and take a moment to consider what if what they are saying is totally true, right? Like what if what they are saying is true? It is for them clearly. What if I would also consider it being true for me, right? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. say, okay, what does that actually look like and mean for our relationship? If I accept what you're saying, as true for not only you, but also for me. Um, and that makes a huge difference because it opens up um, my mind, right? And my experiences with this, it opens up my mind to consider their perspective more fully and deeply um, without feeling threatened, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I think, you know, the next the next thing is like, if a person that you care about is coming to you and telling you that you've hurt them, yeah. Um, even if it wasn't your intention and maybe even especially if it wasn't your intention, uh-huh. it's important to apologize for the harm caused. Yeah. Like to, to really own that regardless of your intention that you've hurt them. Yep. Um, because we can repair that in a place with someone that we really care about, uh-huh. even if we didn't mean to, like, I, I don't think your, your trans friend is unlikely to come to you with this kind of a thing. If uh-huh. they believe you intentionally harmed them, yeah. like they're just going to not talk to you anymore. Yeah. So if they, if they believed you intentionally harmed them, they would probably not be having this vulnerable conversation with you. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. So probably what's happening here is that they're trying to engage in a friendship with you. So they've already understood that you didn't intentionally hurt them. Uh um, And what they're trying to do is repair a relationship that actually will be allowed to be healthy for both of you. So acknowledging that harm done with an apology, like I am sorry, I hurt you. Like not, I'm sorry you were hurt. Right. I want to clarify this. This is something I learned from my ex-wife. People don't like when you apologize for their feelings. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) I'm sorry. You feel sad. Not an apology. No. Um, (laughs) Shout out. (laughs) Um, Should be very glad to hear that I have learned this and passed it on to you. Um, (laughs) But I'm sorry I hurt you means something different. Yes. It acknowledges that, that you're... That, that you're that you're acknowledging that you hurt them right and to say i'm sorry that i hurt you you don't have to experience have experienced the pain that that person felt and likely you will not have experienced that yeah. pain because you're the one who has caused some hurt right um and that is like you don't have to experience that trauma to know what that trauma feels like because somewhere in your life someone has hurt you mm-hmm. and you have deserved an apology and so you can you know sort of reach into yourself your own imagination uh, i have a friend mary who we both know um who she always says that in any conflict she assumes that that person is at minimum 50 percent 100 percent correct right like she's 50 percent correct on what they're saying right like 50 percent of the the sort of thing that they're saying that she has done as a person to harm them is absolutely true. Right. And so at minimum, if not more, um, and that makes it easier for her to apologize, right. Mm -hmm. To be like, I'm just going to assume, right. That everything, you know, that what they're saying to a threshold absolutely is correct and probably more. Um, and so that just makes it easy to approach it of like, okay, there's, there's truth here that I need to apologize for because I've caused some harm. Um, for me, I found that useful of like, just instead of negating that person's truth, right. And being like, it's not true. It's not true. Um, assuming <laughs> that yeah. there's 
a high degree of truth to what this person is saying. Um, it does for me, it makes it a lot easier to apologize. Um, cause then it's not about my ego, right? Yeah. It's like, it's about, I don't have to, I can take that aside and be like, Oh, it doesn't mean you're a bad person that you have to apologize or that you should apologize. Yeah. It means that you owe this person an apology because you've done some harm to them. Yeah. And would you rather be right or be friends? I'd rather them? be friends. <laughs> I yeah. would. I mean, that's, 100% what, that's of the what it really comes down to. Absolutely. It's not being right is never worth it. FYI, it's just not worth it. <laughs> yeah. And then the last piece is making a commitment to do something different. Yeah. Um, and that can be a shared commitment where it uh-huh. can be like, hey, I don't actually know yet how to do this right. Um, uh-huh. I acknowledge I hurt you and I am I really apologize for that. And I want to figure out how to move forward. Yeah. Like, because I, I want us to be friends. Yep. But making a commitment to do it better in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that too is constantly learning, right? Um, so constantly seeking resources, um, to learn more about trans folks from trans folks. Um, and in ways where you don't necessarily have to ask your, your friend or person in your life who's trans to do that emotional labor and intellectual labor with you that you can just approach, um, through, podcasts through books written by trans folks uh through twitter through instagram of trans folks sam brought up a really good point that on instagram there are tons of trans folks like doing sort of free training (laughs) essentially through their stories right um so there are a ton of resources out there local and national organizations that give trainings like there are lots of different resources out there for you to constantly learn um, as an ally, you know, sort of about gender, about gender identity and expression and about trans folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, there's, we know there's not a manual for how to be friends. <laughs> Although um, we're writing that manual. Yeah, apparently, apparently that's our, that's our new, it's going to be a thing. That's our new thing. Yep. Um, but like you as a, as an ally mm-hmm. can actually work on that work by doing some things sort of proactively uh-huh. to to be clear about what the trans community is facing L- frankly listening to this podcast like actually hearing stories about trans people and engaging with these conversations and topics is one of those things so thank you for doing that um yeah. i mean that really does make you a good ally to the trans community and i think yeah. that that is um that's this kind of learning is powerful and sometimes it's hard to learn about things that you're like oh wow now i feel like <laughs> i've really done it wrong um <laughs> and sitting with that discomfort is yeah. an important part of learning uh-huh yeah, I mean, I think the discomfort is how you know you're learning, actually. Yeah. Like, if you're 100% comfortable, when, especially when we're talking about anything related to systemic oppression, you're not learning. Yeah. Like, you should feel uncomfortable. When I, when I feel uncomfortable in those spaces and in that readings or whatever I'm doing, that's when I'm growing and learn unlearning, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> learning how to unlearn, really, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm unlearning those things that I have been conditioned in through the collective soup of our society yeah. right yeah um, and that's hard because there our identities are formed based on those things right yeah. even for trans people so it's something that we're constantly confronting yep absolutely uh so this was uh kind of a heavy topic yeah um and it and it also i think is a really important one so i really appreciate uh you all hanging with us and uh-huh. continuing to listen to this um for those of you who are trans who this brought up some stuff for you, I highly recommend um, engaging in some self-care, um, uh-huh. you know, get, get after that and, and, yeah. and do the things that make you feel good. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who are allies, I would highly recommend not 
um, saying the words internalized transphobia to a trans person. Like this is not, this is not necessarily a topic that you're going to engage with your f- trans friends on. Um, this one, this one is more within community. If a trans friend brings it up, it's probably, it's okay to talk about it, obviously. Yeah. Um, but this is one that, um, it feels really close to home. And so you'd want to be, you'd want to tread really carefully with this one. Yeah. And for, for trans folks out there, just one more thing. Um, after you engage in your self-care, uh, highly encourage you to engage in some community, um, you know, building trusted relationships yeah. with other trans folks, um, is like the bedrock of my life in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. that's so critical. And my friendship with Sam, my friendship with many of our collective friends, like makes a, such a huge difference in my yeah. quality of life. Um, and that community that I have with other trans people just, Reminds me of how strong we are when I'm not feeling strong enough, you know, reminds me that I have people that I can go to no matter what, um, and just increases the quality of my life in ways that I can't even really wholly articulate, but, um, that I know are extremely positive and, um, experience in a way that I would never want to give that community up. Yeah, for sure. It's time for closing credits. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Michael Soto. And me, Sam Garman. Thank you for listening. Uh, Make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Our music is by Skylar Kurgel. Check him out at SkylarKurgel.com, where you can see what he's up to and link to all his social. We want to hear from you. You can connect with us on TransformPod.com or on Facebook at TransformPod. We appreciate your questions and feedback. Email us at TransformPod at gmail.com. We really encourage your thoughtful and positive feedback. If you disagree with us, that's fine, but we will not engage in any name-calling or dehumanizing talk, so please just don't do it. Thanks for going beyond the transition with us. Please tell me a story